episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and today with me is regular contributor, Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three representatives for the town of Brattleboro. And we are very sad. Senator Becca Ballant was supposed to join us today, but she had a meeting, so we wish her luck in that meeting today, and we hope she will join us soon. Um... Emily, we have an interesting show for listeners today because we are going to talk about systems, which we have talked about before, but I think what will make this conversation interesting is we are both stuck in a couple systems right now (laughs) that have impacts on our lives, and yet we are just the little pawns going, over here, (laughs) this isn't working. And it's, I think, an interesting experience for for both of us who are kind of used to just getting in and getting things done and getting things fixed. Mm. And yeah, yeah, it's not happening. How are you, without going into deep details about the bureaucracies we're up against, how are you feeling right now, just in the middle of trying to sort this out so you can move on with your life? Well... That's an interesting question. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons I'm well suited to the work I do is that usually when I encounter something that's not working, um, I take it as this like really exciting challenge um, to overcome. So I often experience bureaucracy as like something that I can beat um, oh, I and that. I will, I will triumph. I get sort of weird and competitive about it. And, um, long, uh, quite, quite a few jobs ago, I had to, um, I helped my employer get this certain small business status with the federal government, with the um, general services administration. And it was one of those things where like each piece of paper depends on the next piece of paper, which depends on the next piece of paper. But like, they become sort of self canceling each other out. Um, When I had to get clear, when I owned a restaurant down, when I was opening a restaurant downtown, it was similar. Like the health inspector had to come, but the fire inspector had to come before the health inspector. But sometimes the fire inspector would say that the health inspector needed to come first. And it just, it gets a little wild and the sign, you need the permit for the sign, but the, no one knows what your business is before the sign goes up. And, um, and usually I get really excited by things like that. And at the end, I'm like so thrilled that I have won. And a lot of my job has been helping, whether in the legislature or otherwise, a lot of my work has been helping people navigate their way through bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. So whether that's like internationally or like as a case manager, helping people, you know, get housing or whatever it is. Um, but right now like everything is hard enough it is hard enough Mm -hmm. yeah and um that's that's it everything is hard enough and i don't really want any more challenges right now Mm -hmm. um yeah and i i know i'm not alone in that feeling yeah yeah well yeah you're sitting zoom wise across from someone who feels very much the same it's it's been interesting for me um I have gone through kind of 
like a little roller coaster of emotions. I wish I approached bureaucracies the way you do, and I shall try in the future (laughs) to adopt this sense of adventure. Um, But I, for me, I have felt very disempowered and very um, confounded and everything from, from crying to yelling to wishing I believed in such things like hexes and curses so the entire department could come down with collective hives. Um, you know, to, yeah, wanting revenge. (laughs) I have been surprised by my deep need for revenge sometimes. Um, but it's, it's been interesting because I can have any emotions I want, but this is a bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't care how I feel because it's just a system. Um, but what I have found, been surprised by is when navigating systems in Vermont, I often use myself as a benchmark mm-hmm. because I'm pretty average, you know, basically have the right skin color, basically have resources, basically because I grew up here, I basically know how to navigate most of these systems. Um, and then I have some challenges, like I'm an hourly employee. So if I miss work, those that money is basically gone unless I can make it up elsewhere. Um, and so if a system really takes me out by the knees, then what does it do for people who have real challenges? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes me think, while the person I spoke to the other day said, gee, you're a weird case. We don't, we've never seen this before. I don't think I am. <laughs> I have a feeling there are other people out there who have had the same problem. Um, But what I learned this week about systems is when we design them, whether we're a parent working with children or an employer working with employees or the state, we assume those systems work and we assume they're fine. And so if someone can't work in that system, it must be their problem, not the system's. Well, and it's interesting. So Drew Wesley, who um, works at the Agency of Human Services and has come on the show a few times. Who's fantastic. Um, yes. She's fantastic. And I remember once we were on some email chain together about some ridiculous bureaucratic thing that we were both involved in. And it got so out of control that I wrote her a private message being like, are you finding this as amazing as I am? And she said, yes, it is the greatest carnival of all. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um. And Drew is someone that I've really partnered with a whole bunch of times in state government to name that like systems only work if if we remember that they're staffed by people and that there are people engaging with them and we design those systems based on those people and that they are, you know, that humans are flawed and they engage in certain behaviors and mistakes happen and that just systems have to be really, you know, there's a whole world of human centered design. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's ridiculous that that's a category of design, human centered design versus non-human. You, you would kind of think like, that would be the baseline. The system. But um, I think it's really, it's really important and transformative to do exactly what you said to assume that things will go wrong. And so how adaptive is the system to things going wrong? How empowered are the often incredibly kind people that I find inside these systems to change the thing that they see as broken? 
-hmm. and to escalate that in a way that's actually meaningful rather than just going into a great big void that no one can ever contact again. Right. Um, and so that's what, that's what human centered design can look like. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Um, when I was first on reach up, which is the, you know, Vermont's cash welfare system. Right. Um, I, you know, I performed very well in bureaucracies. Um, I did very well in school. I test well, I complete forms very quickly. I am like, I am a well-aligned middle-class citizen. And so, um, you know- I go into fight or flight mode, yes. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And, I, and most people do, most people do. Um, and so as I navigated that system, I was really, given a wide variety of privileges that are not given to people who don't navigate systems like that as easily as I do. Um, and then after that, when I worked as a reach up case manager, all of a sudden I found out about all of these rules that no one had ever told me about before when I was subject to them. Mm -hmm. Because I think that people in some level thought I was too good for those rules. Interesting. And also, or I just never violated those rules by accident, not knowing about them, and then felt the full weight of the law punishing me for whatever that was. Mm -hmm. But when you're deep inside a bureaucracy and you're like, it's those rules are central to you, whether that's as a case manager or a person answering the phone mm. um, to get services, it becomes so central to you that I don't think you realize that for everyone else, it's just like more white noise in their lives like right. how much mail do we all get um mm -hmm. i was just talking to another parent this morning who we got an email from the school and it was like five paragraphs long and it was like a whole bunch of like very nice stuff about activities and things that my kids not really interested in and apparently on the fifth or sixth paragraph was like really essential information that like the end of the day today is a different time than usual and I never got to that fifth paragraph, Olga. Hence why journalism <laughs> has the inverted pyramid. <laughs> yes. And like, I read a lot, like I have 12 devices. I read a lot of email a day. Like, um, I wouldn't have gotten to the fifth paragraph. Yeah. No. You're not the I only parent. The fifth paragraph. So, and like, yes, we should all slow down more. And if like capitalism wasn't eating our lives, then like maybe we'd all have time to read our emails easily and like blah, 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 blah. But that's not the way the world works. Yep. And again, human-centered design. Yeah. So when I think about this upcoming biennium mm -hmm. um, and the themes that we've been talking about here on the happy hour about sort of the cracks in the system and how many more people can see it, Mm -hmm. um, I think about how many Vermonters, how many more Vermonters and how many more legislators have had to engage with systems of care in Vermont. Right. Right. And so, so yay. how well, what? Yay. <laughs> yay. So, right. So like our public information systems, like how do people find out about public health information or not, right? We know that there was this huge outbreak in Winooski because no one was bothering to translate the information at first or how many more people understand how incredibly frustrating the unemployment system is and how punitive it is, right? Mm -hmm. How assuming a fraud. And so many more people have now felt that feeling that fraud is assumed. How many more people have had to access the health exchange because they've been laid off? 
how many more people have had to travel like to random DMVs in other parts of the state because the DMV is shut down. Mm -hmm. And so the bird, the time burden of engaging these bureaucratic tasks becomes outsized, even though we know that for a lot of Vermonters, those bureaucratic tasks are already outsized in yeah. the part of their day because they don't have access to a car or something like that. And so as all of these cracks have been revealed and so many more people have this like lived visceral experience of those cracks, like are we going to tackle those things this upcoming biennium? Mm -hmm. Are we going to say like, wow, there's a lot of people in our state who fall through the cracks of the unemployment insurance system. And that's like really our only safety net. Mm -hmm. What are we gonna do about that? Wow, we have so many people who like need health, you know, who can't, who need treatment and can't afford it. Like, what are we gonna do about that? Mm -hmm. um, I, I would add too, what do we consider rights, privileges, or necessities, such as you mentioned the DMV, you know, if you look through the, the handbook, it says driving is a privilege. Mm -hmm. Well, that might be the point of the DMV, but in a state with very little public transport, and most people have to drive to get to their job, is it really a privilege? Yeah. Or is that kind of like, yeah, heating your house in January is a privilege in Vermont too. Like, mm -hmm. Eating vegetables privilege. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, and it's remarkable how much more expensive the burden on the state is when we assume things like that are privileges rather than rights. That's a really good point. Because we leave people out. So yeah. there's sort of like the human rights argument or the mm -hmm. dignity argument. And then there's also just like the cost to the state because of the like butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. I, there's a better way of saying that that I don't have, but um yeah, it's so new biennium, yeah. lessons learned. Fixing bureaucracy is like so unsexy and so essential. Yeah. Because like we also, I think one of the, it's essential to people seeing the good in government and mm -hmm. the usefulness of government, which is our collective will. Yeah. I mean, that's the point of it, right? It's like supposed to be our collective will. And if we know anything from this election is that like, you know, distrust in government is going up and up and up mm -hmm. um, in, techno in technocrats, in elites, um, in people from urban areas, whatever frame you want to put on that the divide across this country, we know that it is far from being resolved. Yes. And for me, like that trust in government is such a key part of that. So I think the more we can make government effective by remembering that it's like people, government is people, mm -hmm. bureaucracies are people and they're serving people. Yeah. And we're all flawed and none of us read our mail <laughs> and that's okay. Or some of us happen to be moving when a letter gets sent and we never mm -hmm. get the letter. Mm -hmm. That happens too. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, the kid brings the mail in and like somehow one of the pieces of mail gets underneath another pile of mail because mm -hmm. like a five-year-old was super proud of themselves that they got the mail from the mailbox. Yep. Or it fell behind the refrigerator. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Or like it's the bottom of someone's backpack or like whatever it is. It's just like well, based on people and real people's lives. And, and I think that is such a good point because 
what we just listed were very just sort of, if you want to blame anything, you blame gravity because the letter fell behind something. Um, but they're tiny moments mm-hmm. that if you're trying to get through a bur- bureaucracy can really snowball into something huge. Mm-hmm. And it kind of shows in a way how fragile some of our systems are. Mm-hmm. If that one piece of mail goes missing and suddenly you can't access your health insurance or you can't mm-hmm. access your whatever. Well, let's use two examples. So one example for me is I was recently laid off and I'm applying for unemployment. Yes. The process is going on for an incredibly long time. I've apparently been sent to adjudication. No one can explain to me why, because it actually doesn't make any sense. I have a very straightforward case, very straightforward case. Fairly large employers. I know they're already in the system. They popped up immediately when I was filling it in. Mm -hmm. Certainly no one is going to, anyway. Nothing nefarious is happening. Nothing nefarious is going on. And there's no way my employer is denying my claim. Like I'm positive about that. So it goes on like this. I call. They say that they have no idea when it will get resolved. No one on the phone can tell me when they know it might be resolved. I have a decent cushion for the first time in my life, actually. So this is really good timing. Good. Um, and so for me, it's just like the most annoying, impatient, making stressful thing in the world. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage or my rent. I know because I've spent hours and hours trying to help other people through this exact incredibly frustrated situation that many, many, many Vermonters, this means that they're not going to be able to pay their rent or their mortgage. And so on a small magnifier level, like a piece of paperwork gets lost or a call is never made or a call is missed. You're just supposed to answer the phone whenever they call, which is Mm -hmm. absurd. Yep. I talked to someone on the phone once who didn't want to take her kid to the playground because she knew that at some point one this single singular day the department of labor was going to call her so she was home with two little kids and she could not leave the house for the entire day Mm -hmm. so but if i couldn't pay my rent i might get evicted that's not just that i am homeless it also means that I'm going to have an incredible trouble ever finding an- finding another apartment again yeah. because I have an eviction on my record, and I'll have to come up with first and last in security, not just rent. Right? Yes. Or I just, you know, best case scenario, I just get a ding on my credit. That might mean that I can never buy a house mm-hmm. or never buy a car. Or if I do try to buy a car, my rates are going to be astronomically higher than they would be otherwise. Right. And that's just like little things from like, you know, a check taking two weeks instead of one week. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, another example is I've talked to a lot of people who are having trouble with the Department of Motor Vehicles right now. Mm-hmm. Because rather than digitize things or work remotely, almost everything still has to happen in person. Yeah. Who knows why? And we have like one or two DMVs open around the state. Yeah. So if someone loses their car, what happens? You better hope you have a job that you can work remotely and you have friends who will bring you groceries Mm -hmm. because you're technically not supposed to go anywhere or Mm -hmm. drive. And if you do drive anywhere, the ticket is exorbitant. Mm -hmm. 
and it keeps on going and then it gets tacked to your insurance. Yep. And then how would anyone ever pay the fines to get their license back? Mm-hmm. And so we do have systems, actually state systems for people who are in that situation that can then the um, move to sort of getting their license back and then be on a payment plan mm-hmm. rather than having to pay and then get their license back. That's useful. It's, it's a great, it's part of a restorative justice suite of services in Vermont. But it sort of misses the upstream point that most people wind up in the position of losing their license, not because of anything nefarious or worthy of government punishment, but just because paperwork is complicated and people are busy and systems often don't work the way they should. Mm-hmm. I, without going into a lot of details because I have yet to resolve the system, I am one of those people who is struggling with the DMV right now and to try to remedy a problem I'm having with my license, uh, my dad and I drove to Montpelier this week. And I, you know, I was a good little doobie. I made an appointment beforehand. I lined up a ride so someone else was driving. Um, I got to my appointment 15 minutes early, like I'm supposed to. I had all my paperwork. I show up, I waited, you know, 20 minutes before someone would see me. And I want to say the counter person who worked with me was lovely and very kind and very patient because, you know, he almost saw me cry. But I get up to the counter and we're going through all my paperwork and we're trying to remedy the system. And he says, oh, no, we can't we can't fix this today because of X, Y and Z. And I said, why is that not on the website? If I had seen that on the website that I needed to take a different path. We would not have driven to Montpelier today. I would not have lost eight hours of work and meaning eight hours of pay. Um, We would have made different choices. And his response was, well, this doesn't tend to happen. So we didn't think we don't need to put it on the website. And I'm like, you kind of need to put it on the website because guess what? It happens. (laughs) So a simple thing like the right information not being on the website. Um, And I still don't have the problem remedied and I don't know when it will be. So thank goodness I have a father who is willing to bring me groceries because I will be working out of my home for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Yep. It's fun. Um, And we don't, you know, for all of our lovely listeners out there, we are not just talking about this so we can have grouchy Friday together. We are yeah, we just would have we just would have had a phone conversation if we wanted a grouchy Friday. No, but <laughs> when I think about the lessons of the pandemic, again, it is really about so many more of us seeing our systems revealed, public health systems, benefit mm-hmm. systems, and an opportunity to say these need to actually work for people. Yeah, we need to have you know one of my colleagues calls it a caring economy. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that like we want to make sure that like corporations love people. It means that we need to recognize that care needs to take place whether we want it to or not. And mm-hmm. our economy needs to accommodate that. Yeah. And I would add that one of the consequences when people can't work within a system or the system is not kind to them or write down ruthless to them they leave that system. Mm -hmm. And then 
you know, we look at people in society, you know, there are probably a lot of folks in Vermont right now driving on expired licenses. And the DMV, the guy at the DMV said, oh, no, that doesn't really happen. Yeah, it happens because they get to the DMV, they say, screw this. Mm -hmm. And it's easier for them to drive on an expired license than fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And when you magnify that out to things like healthcare, housing, food, they're huge problems. No, they really are. And, you know... I was talking to someone early in the pandemic who was experiencing significant problems with the unemployment insurance system. And he kept on telling me about these things he was doing to borrow money and get food that I could see were like digging him way deeper into a hole. And I was like, you're eligible for food stamps. You're eligible for this. You're eligible for that. And he's like, I am not dealing with another bureaucracy lady. Like no way. Like this money I am entitled to. And that is all I'm doing here. And it was it's terrible to watch, but so many more of us drop out of that system. So when I've been talking to the commissioner of unemployment insurance, not about my own case, I still have not found my way through the awkwardness of dealing with that part, but about other people's cases and about data. um, And one of the, you know, they, the unemployment insurance division sends out a weekly report to all legislators since the um, catastrophe started we've been um getting these weekly reports Mm -hmm. and there's wait times on it you know average wait times and how many people are on benefits and i asked him to add on how many people have left the system Mm -hmm. so one how soon we're going to have people who are maxing out so how many people have maxed out how many people have just dropped out of trying here And how many people are receiving benefits. But we can't assume that people stopped receiving benefits or aren't receiving unemployment because they have jobs. Right. Right. And so many of our popular statistics that we throw around, even the unemployment rate, mm-hmm. is based on that assumption yeah. and loses track of all of these people who have really said, no, I'm not going to engage with the formal system. Oops. Guess is that our what? timer? That's is our timer. timer break? <laughs> Great. Yes, it is. Thank you, timer, that I forgot to turn off. Um, we shall be right back with the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 after a word from our Welcome back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining me, I am your host, Olga Peters, and I am speaking with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three representatives for the town of Brattleboro. And we have been talking in the first half of the show, we were talking about fixing bureaucracies and how bureaucracies, how they can really leave people out of the process and the the butterfly effect of that and the ripple effect of, of, of that. Um, you know, looking at the upcoming biennium, which is supposed to start in January, mm-hmm. even though this one in a way never ended, never um, ended. what's on, what's on deck, Emily, and will you be looking at any systems while in this new biennium? Oh, what is on deck? So it, it will start in January. I like how you said it's supposed to start in January. Like it might not. Um, I'm pretty positive it's going to start in January. Um, I, I, everything's up in the air these days. 
Um, so yes, I think we will be doing some work around sort of tweaks to COVID tweaks that we made and seeing how that works out. I want to make sure that we're really diving in a little bit deeper. I don't know if I'll be able to, um, you know, do that beyond committees that are my jurisdiction. Um, but I think that's a really, really important part of the work that we're going to be doing. There's doing the, I think last week we were talking about developing new policy, not based on sort of reactions to what's in front of us, uh -huh. but building for the future, really yeah. with the future in mind. Um, and so I think that's gonna be really important. What's mm -hmm. interesting is that a lot of programs um, like healthcare reform or family medical leave um, or even minimum wage are all much easier to do at the federal level. Yes. And we have a new president elect. And a lot of those <laughs> things. <laughs> yes. Yay. And a lot of those policies are things that were discussed during the campaign mm -hmm. and they might be priorities of the administration. And so some of this is like a little bit of a wait and see, hurry up and wait and see, but don't want to wait too long. Right. Um, and so we are um, looking to see like who the cabinet picks will be and what that signals about priorities and really just sort of seeing what happens between now and January. Um, the Democrats have a big caucus every year at the beginning of December mm -hmm. where we each sort of come together. We have smaller caucuses leading up to it, smaller conversations really um, leading up to it. This is on they the usually, state level? Mm-hmm. Okay. usually on the state level. So usually um, leading up to the new, to the new session, um, we have little regional conversations as Democrats. And then we have this big caucus um, that the media is welcome to and um, usually happens in the state house in the cafeteria. And that is the first week in December. And we talk about what we heard on the campaign trail and where our constituents priorities are for us and what we're gonna work on for the new biennium. Um, or the new session. And so that's happening in December. We'll see what happens there. Um, but there is a lot of that sort of weighing the federal landscape mm. versus the state landscape and what that looks like. Um, and, and the second huge part of that is, will there be another relief package? Right. How flexible will it be? I think that's even more key, yes. Well, I mean, the money is the most key, <laughs> but flexible is second key. Um, and so really needing to understand that. And that's a, you know, certainly a confusing part of this whole mess, mix up. Yeah. Decision tree. Yeah. It'll be an interesting year though. And we talked about this a little bit last week with John that we're mm -hmm. going to have, you know, a new president pro tem, a new Lieutenant governor presiding over the Senate. We're going to have a new majority leader in the Senate and the exact same, you know, in the house, we're going to have a new clerk of the house. We're going to have, mm -hmm. um, who's the person who sort of manages the bills and procedures. It's yeah. an elected position from outside of the legislature. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know that. So the legislature elects the clerk of the house, mm -hmm. but it's a sort of a professional full-time salaried position. Gotcha. Um, and then we're going to have a new speaker of the house likely. Um, mm -hmm. Today is the existing speaker's recount date. And so we'll know right. probably by late night tonight. Okay. Um, if she'll be able to gain the votes that she needs. And then um, 
if she's not able to, we'll have a new majority leader. Mm -hmm. And then sort of down from there, a new whip, but we'll have a new entire leadership team. And so committee configurations will probably mix up a lot because of all of that, those mm. other shifts. It's going to be a really, it's we're going to have a new chair of our appropriations committee. It's, it's exciting, but it's like a lot of instability in the face mm. of much instability. Um, <laughs> and, you know, many of us are certainly not at our most patient and best right now. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not. And one of the things that I really learned in my um, first year in the legislature was how important it was to um, find a way to love and appreciate everyone I was working with there. Yeah. Because you're spending a lot of time with them mm -hmm. um, and you're having tough conversations. And so really I tried to make it like a personal practice to really like find things to love and appreciate about everyone. And like some people it was like, they look, you know, they have cute shoes, who knows? Like it can be little yeah. things, but um, usually it's sort of more about their personality or what motivates them or what brings them to the work or like, you know, that they love puns, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Like family yeah. um, that you disagree with all the time. So it's just one big Thanksgiving dinner. It's just one big Thanksgiving dinner. Um, <laughs> Thanksgiving. So that's a lot harder over Zoom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking of the legislature and as you called it, Zoom democracy, that Zoom is so interesting because in a way, I think it gives us this false sense of intimacy in the sense that you're seeing someone's office. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing their cat walk across the keyboard or their, their kid ask for a snack or something like that. And yet it's also, it's still a disconnect mm -hmm. and it's harder to have some of the, um, for lack of a better term, the more intimate conversations that sometimes need to happen with problem solving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no, um, there's a level of formality to all communication. That's really mm -hmm. challenging. You can't sort of stop someone in the hall or walk out with them subtly and happen to fall into a conversation. Um, there's no, you don't know who people are looking at. Mm -hmm. Well, in a simple, wait a minute, I didn't understand that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that that can't be answered right then and there or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really, it's harder to interrupt behavior. It's hard to understand people's motivations. It's hard. Um, a lot of subtlety is lost. Mm -hmm. And so that makes some parts of the work more challenging. Mm -hmm. um, there are things that are better and easier. You know, it's pretty incredible that anyone anywhere in the world can watch all of our committee deliberations and all of our floor deliberations from their device. Mm -hmm. I really love that. Yeah, I love that too, actually. It's really cool. And um, for better and for worse, lobbyists and advocates have much less access to the process now. Oh, that is fascinating. So huh. they still have the same ability to testify before a committee. Right. But when a lobby, when a person, lobbyist, activist, random human, would sit in a committee room on the sides just to listen on, in on what happened. 
their reactions to what's happening becomes part of the zeitgeist of the room. Mm -hmm. um, and so that might be something as overt as they overhear something that a witness is saying or that another member of the committee is saying and they raise their eyebrow mm -hmm. and another and a member of the committee notices that and knows there's information there. Or it could be something as concrete as they hear something happens happening during that testimony and you know, lean over and say something or walk someone out of the room and say something, mm -hmm. which is very, very different. And you know that you're being watched by those people. Mm -hmm. With oh, the YouTube, right. it's very easy to forget that everything you do is being watched or not watched. You have no idea who's watching. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, um, you know, I think that affects people's courage in both directions. Mm -hmm. um, I think it affects people's manners in both directions. Mm -hmm. I think it affects people's patience and listening in both directions. And so activists or lobbyists really, again, have less subtle means available to them. They need to call a legislator or text or email um, or formally ask to give testimony. They can't um, be as enmeshed in the process as we were able to be in person. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm really pondering that. That's very, really fascinating. Um, that, that loss of subtlety for better or for worse. Um, well, and it, it brings me to the question, you know, one thing I've been very fascinated with, with the pandemic and policy building is we are trying to, or I'm hoping most people are trying to, you know, there's a immediate crisis that must be dealt with, mm -hmm. but then there's, okay, so how do we fix these systems long-term or how do we build this policy long-term so that um, we're more resilient, mm -hmm. more sustainable, you know, put fill in the blank. And in a way, I think that feels so new for a lot of people. And yet it's how a lot of our um, social service organizations have been operating for years. Yes. Um, and I, I, you know, my hope is that we can finally crack that nut of how to mm -hmm. do that dual work. And yet what you just told me about Zoom democracy, it makes me question, is it harder to do that dual work? Yeah. If we're not all literally at the table. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know that there's an answer to that yet. Time will tell. Time will tell. And I really, it's also a, you know, I think it's both. Mm -hmm. um, I, in some ways, find the work less exhausting because mm -hmm. I am sort of right in the middle between an extrovert and an introvert. And so having people staring at me the entire day um, is really tiring for me. Yeah. And <laughs> so that's just the reality of, you know, being in a state house mm -hmm. and like, you know, being able to have intimate social conversations with people throughout the course of the day is very, very energizing for me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I lose things, I'm losing things that drain my energy, but I'm also losing things that help, help my energy and courage yeah. and camaraderie. Um, and I think that's true for almost everyone in this time, that there are things that we're gaining and things that we're losing. And that's mm -hmm. true I mean, you know, that's true with, with the life. Yeah. Yeah. For you, um, have you had a chance to think about, okay, going into this biennium, knowing that we need to do the dual work of crisis management and recovery and resiliency, have you built any strategies for yourself? 
<laughs> oh god and i, I asked that question with a straight face even um <laughs> you know i will say that so in the state house i have no desk and three desks you know i have my mm -hmm. committee room um there's a legislative lounge that i would often work in at the end very end of the day yeah um and then I have my desk on the house floor, which is like a. It's like a schoolroom desk. It's, it's like a schoolroom desk. It flips it flips up for people who are on the radio and can't see this ridiculous hand motion I'm making. Um, and neither of those are have, you know, um, great spots for working. <laughs> um, and then I'm also like going home at night. And anyway, so like basically, I just have a little notebook and my laptop with me mm -hmm. or my iPad with me um, when I'm in Montpelier. And so working from home, it's been really amazing to do this incredibly challenging, thoughtful, considerate work at a desk. Yeah. <laughs> um, have a home base. To have a home base. And so it's been really, that's a big coping mechanism for me. You know, like I'm very into the post-it note reminders around like big themes that I don't want to lose track of, mm -hmm. big ideas I don't want to lose track of. Um, I can have different notebooks for different committees and different sort of like tracks I'm going. Um, I can be much more tactile actually in the virtual world than I could in the real world mm -hmm. in terms of my organization systems. Yeah. So that's a big coping mechanism for me. Um, I tell myself every Sunday that this week I'll go for a walk every day. <laughs> and it is, it's important to like really experience the expansiveness of the universe rather than just the expansiveness of the interwebs. Um, both are very expansive, um, but I think the balance between the two mm -hmm. helps, helps both, helps the creative thinking yes. and the relational thinking. Um, I think those are the two big things for me. Thank you. Um, I, I appreciate hearing that because uh, I ask slightly for a selfish reason because in my work as a journalist, I constantly ask myself, is my work serving the community and how can mm. I do it better or differently? And I haven't completely answered that for the pandemic because so much of what you do as a journalist is you often see the society at its its low points or people yeah. not always on their mm -hmm. best behavior. And um, it's hard to shift out of crisis mode when that's what you're always seeing. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're actually going to have to leave it there because I know you need to get to an oh, appointment. My goodness. Yeah. Every time Olga, the whole hour just poof disappears. Yeah. Um, so I do want to do a toast, but before we do that, where can people find you, Emily? Well, they should know that wherever they find me, that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and the guest and not the radio station. Thank you for remembering um, that. Folks can find me at emilykornheiser.org. And from there, you can find your way to the legislative website, to my phone number, to my email address, to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and my community conversation coffee hour for constituents. So many C's. That's every Saturday at 10 a.m. And of course, the Montpelier Happy Hour you can find on our Vermontitude SoundCloud page, our Vermontitude Facebook page, and Emily's YouTube channel. I want to raise a glass or a toast 
coffee mug, to creativity. Because a very wise friend said to me this week, as I was freaking out about dealing with the DMV, she said, so when this is all said and done, Olga, is it going to be a newspaper article, a short story, or a film script? And what hit me was, oh, yes, I'm a storyteller. I can literally change this experience into anything. And it reminded me about the power of transformation inherent in creativity. So I want to toast to transformation and creativity and taking experiences and transforming them into something that can benefit others. Here, here. Have a great weekend, everyone. Best cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Emily. And a very happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you get to spend it with the people you care about. And eating pie. Uh, oh, lots of pie. There must be pie. <laughs>